0: To Nehemiah chapter 4, beginning with verse 8 and 9. Nehemiah 4, 8 and 9. About 90 years after the first group had been allowed by Cyrus to go back and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, Nehemiah was... Still in Persia, and he was a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. Being in this close proximity with the king, they developed a good relationship. And one day, some of the captives had returned from Jerusalem, and Nehemiah said, how is the holy city? How is the temple? And he was inquiring concerning uh, the city of Jerusalem and all, but they gave him a very discouraging report. They said, oh, the walls are a rubble, the buildings are in disrepair, the temple is decaying, the people are discouraged. There's just so much oppression from their enemies, and they can't seem to get anything done, and really everyone is very demoralized at this point. And Nehemiah was really distressed by the bad news that he had received concerning the conditions in Jerusalem. And as he bore the cup into the king, the king said, what's wrong? What's happened to you? You're usually so happy. What, what's the matter? You seem to be concerned about something. And Nehemiah said, yes, I am concerned about the condition of the holy city. And, and I hear that the walls are in rubble, and the people are discouraged, and and I just am torn up over the conditions of that holy city. So, in four forty five, Artaxerxes gave the commandment to Nehemiah to return to Jerusalem that he might restore and rebuild it. And so, when Nehemiah came back to the city of Jerusalem. He did not tell the people what his mission was, but he kept it quiet for a while in order that he might just survey all of the situation. And one night he went out after everyone had gone to sleep on his horse and he rode around the walls of Jerusalem as he observed the condition of the walls all the way around And then he began to devise a plan for the rebuilding of the wall, so that the work could be done very speedily by assigning just a small section of the wall to each family so that all of the families would be working side by side all the way around the city at the very same time. So that they wouldn't start at one place and start building the walls, but the walls would just go up all the way around the city at once, each family just taking a section, another family taking a gate, and each family just taking a small section. By all of them working together, the wall would just go up all at once all the way around the city. And so he then unfolded his plan to the people. We're going to rebuild the walls in order that we might have a strong place of defense again against the enemies. And so they started rebuilding the walls and uh, these people in the land that were oppressing them sought to discourage them. Oh, they uh, sought to discourage them by ridicule. One of the fellows said, Oh, the wall they're building. If a uh, fox went up, he could knock it over, you know. The wolf could huff and puff and blow the thing down. Uh, There's nothing to it, you know. And and they then sought to hinder them by assaults, more direct methods. They they would uh, attack a certain section of the wall, and then they'd knock over the rocks that the fellows had just put up. When they'd dry them off and break it down, and and so the work was really uh, under a lot of harassment by the enemies. And so at this point in chapter 4, Nehemiah said, So we offered our prayer unto God and set a watch against them day and night. It is interesting to me that the leaders of the Old Testament were all of them men of prayer. They were men who had learned how to turn things over to God. Men who knew that though they had strength, there were limitations to their strength. There were limitations to their abilities, and they were conscious of that. And so they were constantly drawing from God and those resources of God through prayer. And all the way through the book of Nehemiah, we find him throwing up prayers to God. And so we prayed, he said, about this. And so we brought this before the Lord. And now with this problem, with the enemies harassing them in their building, he said, and so we offered our prayer unto God. Those men who have ever been able to have any real accomplishment in life are the men who prayed. I am certain that one of the mysteries of heaven is really how little people do pray. You know, I imagine that the angels, in watching us, as we get so frustrated with life, and we get in these desperate situations, And they see us as we're just in that point of complete despair and hopelessness and and just running in circles and spinning our wheels. I'm sure that they say, well, you dummies, why don't you pray? The mystery of heaven is that people pray so little. And I imagine when the angels are conversing with each other about this planet Earth and man that God has put there, they say, can you believe it? Look, they could come to God and God's willing to give them whatever they need, but they won't come. Can you believe that? And, and just the mystery that when God has made available for man all of these infinite resources, we're not, we're not tapping in on it. We're not coming to the Lord in prayer." Jesus said men ought always to pray and not to faint. But we see so many fainting people. They're desperate. And we say, well, have you prayed about it? Well, I was thinking about that. There is a verse to that song, What a Friend we have in Jesus that goes, Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. The Bible says that God wants us to bring everything to Him. In all thy ways acknowledge Him. And He will direct your path. In all things with prayer and supplication let your request be made known unto God. We ought to be bringing everything to the Lord in prayer. But you see, I am very aware that there are things that seem to be so simple. Why bother God with this? I can handle this easily. There's no sense of bothering God with this little thing. It is so simple. But I am amazed how complex simple little things can become when I get involved in them. Now, in reality, changing a carburetor on a car is a very simple little job. There are only four nuts that hold the carburetor on top of the manifold. And then all you have to do is release the few little linkage things, take off a couple vacuum hoses, and it's a very simple thing to change a carburetor on a car. but what happened to my 916th socket? (laughs) Those boys of mine, if they had just learned to put the tools back where they got them. And so I have to spend my first half hour finding my 916th socket. I should have had the job done by now. And then there's always one of those nuts of the four that's just tight and it won't release as easy as the rest. Three are always easy, but there's always the one. And I struggle and I strain and then I go get the liquid wrench and I soak it and I wait a while and then I go out and I pull and finally the thing breaks and with it my knuckles come scraping across the top of The manifold and, oh, knock the skin off of all four and it's hurt and it's bleeding. And I go into the house to get a Band-Aid. But why is it that the Band-Aids are always empty when you need them? (laughs) And I've got grease all over my hands and there's grease in the cuts. And so I get out the comets because it'll cut the grease. And I wash it off and of course it stings a bit. But I can't find a band-aid so I just wrap some paper towels around it and head back out again and about that time my wife calls and said who left all the grease in the sink? (laughs) I just finished the dishes this morning you know and someone got the sink greasy so I've got to go back in and use the comet on the sink. And I finally get back out to my carburetor again and put on the new one and connect up all the little linkage and put in the vacuum hoses and tighten down on all of the nuts. And then, I don't know, I always wonder, did I tighten that one enough? I don't want any air leaking through, so I'll give it just one more half of a turn. And my, I break off the bolt right down inside the head, you know, just... So, got to take the rest of them off, undo the linkage, take off the vacuum hoses, get my drill and make a hole and get my easy out and work that one stud out of the manifold, you know. And what should have been a simple job, and here I've been, my wife says, well, I thought you said it would only take you a half hour. (laughs) You've been all day working on that thing. Well, Simple tasks can sometimes become extremely complex when God isn't in it, guiding and directing. I'm amazed at how wrong I can be in my snap judgment of a situation. Lord, I don't need help. It's quite obvious what I need to do here, Lord. And I'll just get at it, you know. I can see, Lord. I don't need any advice on this one. And like Joshua and the men of Israel, when the Gibeonites came with their moldy bread and their worn-out shoes, and they took stock of their victuals and inquired not of the Lord, Why, it's obvious these fellows have come from a long ways. Look how moldy their bread is. Look how worn out their shoes are. Lord, we don't need to ask you about this one. We can handle this one ourselves. And then I find myself in a bind, just like Joshua found himself, as I realized I didn't have all the information. I made a decision that is to my hurt now. I thought I knew what was best, but it turned out it wasn't best. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. God has made available to us His infinite resources. All we have to do is ask. Jesus said, Ask, and ye shall receive. However, Nehemiah did more than pray. It said that Nehemiah offered his prayer unto his God and then he set a watch against the enemy day and night. I think that it is important that we realize that prayer should never be an excuse for our irresponsibility. Yes, I am to pray, but then God expects me to use good judgment in responsible decision-making processes. After I pray, I must act in a responsible fashion. I can't just pray and say, okay, Lord, take care of it and do nothing about it myself. God expects me to take responsible, precautionary actions. We offered our prayer unto God and set a watch against them day and night. There are many people who use prayer as an excuse for irresponsibility. They pray, now Lord, please Take care of all my bills. And they get charge cards. And they go out and run up the charge accounts. And they go out and charge a new 280Z. And then they say, Lord, please take care of all my bills. And they quit their job. (laughs) Now, Lord, take care of it. You promise to provide all my needs, Lord, so just take care of all these bills. My, and, and they won't work. And then they come and they say, I can't understand. I prayed to God to take care of my bills and they just repossessed my 280. I don't know why God didn't, you know, come through and make the payments for me. Well, that's not responsible. And prayer is never a substitute for responsibility. God expects you to act in a responsible fashion after you have prayed. Prayer should never be a substitute for our own laziness. It isn't that I just ask God to do something and then, well, I just prayed about it and I'd place it in the Lord's hands. And I'm just trusting God to undertake. Well, that's wonderful. But there's more than that. You say you need a job? Oh, yes. Well, what are you doing about it? Oh, I'm praying every morning when I get up that God will give me a job. Well, that's fine. Then what do you do? Oh, I get my board and I head down for the surf. Well, no employer is going to come swimming through the surf to hire you. (laughs) If you need a job, you pray and ask God to give you a job. Then you go out and start knocking on doors, passing out resumes. You don't just kick back and say, okay, God, I need a job. Send one to me. But God expects you to be responsible and to take responsible actions, and God will guide you then in your actions, and as you knock, a door will open. You see, with the asking and receiving, Jesus also said, Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be open." Getting back to my carburetor, if I've got a bad carburetor and I need to replace it, I don't go over to the... Part store, buy the new carburetor, bring it home and set it on my bench in the garage and go in the house and watch TV and say, now, Lord, would you take care of that carburetor and change it for me? That's not responsible. Now, I would be much better off if I had, before I start looking for my 916, say, now, Lord, would you just guide me as I change this carburetor now and make things go smoothly? And trust God to help me and to guide me as I'm I'm changing the carburetor. But I pray and I ask God and then I take responsible actions. I don't just use prayer as an excuse for laziness. Oh, well, I've been praying about it. Doing nothing. Now, that's not right. There's a beautiful sovereignty between... There's a beautiful balance between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. Yes, God is going to work. Yes, God is going to do his work. But yes, I am responsible for my part. And God holds me responsible for that part. Prayer never negates COMMON SENSE. GOD EXPECTS YOU TO USE GOOD COMMON SENSE. YEARS AGO WHEN WE WERE IN THE TENT, A YOUNG GIRL CAME UP TO ME AND SHE WAS ALL EXCITED. She said, I wanted to come to church tonight and I live in Downey. And so I got in my car and when I turned on the key, I saw that the gas tank was empty. And so I got the hose and put water in the tank because I didn't have any money. And I said, Lord, if you can change water into wine, you can change water into gasoline. And she said, I made it all the way here. (laughs) Well, that put me under tremendous pressure. because you don't want to discourage a person's faith. But yet there's just something about good common sense that tells you you don't put water in the gas tank asking God to make a conversion for you. (laughs) Prayer is never a substitute, nor does it negate good common sense. We ask God to help us and then we step out and do what seems best and right in our minds under the situation. Trusting that God will help us. Trusting that if we are going in the wrong direction, God will will shut the door. Trusting that he will inspire our minds in the right direction. And then when the work is accomplished and successful, we give him the praise and the glory because we know that it couldn't have been done unless he did give us the strength and the ability and the wisdom to do it. But God expects us to take wise precautions, not to live foolheartedly. You remember Satan came to Jesus and said, why don't you jump off this precipice, the pinnacle of the temple? For after all it is written, he will give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all of thy ways, to bear thee up lest you dash your foot against a stone. So if you are really a child of God, you can jump off and because he said he won't allow you to dash your foot on a stone, you won't dash your foot down at the bottom of this wall. Act irresponsibly. Do something stupid. And Jesus said, oh no. For it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. God expects you to act in a responsible manner. God doesn't expect you to deliberately put yourself in jeopardy and they then say, oh God, get me out. To jump off a cliff and say, Lord, don't let me fall. The balance. I have my limitations. I have limited capacities and abilities. But I can tap in to God's unlimited resources through prayer. And thus, before I begin a project or task, the wisest thing I can do is say, All right, God, my life is yours. Guide me today. Help me today. And then go ahead and do my best, trusting God to guide and to help me. The prayer doesn't excuse my not doing something. You can lay in bed all week saying, God, please guide me. But he'll never guide you as long as you're lying there. You've got to get up and start moving. So we offered our prayer unto God, Nehemiah said, and we set the watch against them day and night. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you that we can come to you this morning and solicit your help for our lives. Lord, we need it. We need your hand, Lord, upon us to guide us and to strengthen us. Lord, we pray that those that are here might learn that glorious resource that is available to each one through prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Chuck Smith. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Chuck's teaching ministry by visiting pastorchuck.org.